You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I'm going to be ministering on the topic of good things are coming. Say it with me, good things are coming. Say it again, good things are coming. Because I'm going to show you in the Word of God that the blessings that God has for us, they just knew, they don't come automatically. There are certain things that you have to appropriate by faith to have them coming in your life on a constant way. And I believe tonight it will bless you in a great way. In fact, I like uh, David because he was a guy who was appropriating the blessings of God in his life. Uh, I like in the Psalms 103, it says, forget not all of his benefits because he was appropriated. And also David said this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So some people in the Bible know how to do that. Other people, they just kind of get saved and wait until they die to go to heaven. But I want to tell you tonight that God has something very special for you if you would appropriate your faith in that area to receive it. Can you say amen, everybody? Because generally in America, when someone gets saved, they go to a church and they got saved because they wanted to have eternal life. Amen? And it kind of stops at that point. And then people are basically told, if you follow God's will... If you're doing what he told you to do, all these other things will automatically fall on you. Healing will automatically happen. Prosperity will automatically happen. That is not true. All these things I'm talking about have to be appropriated by faith. You're always blessed when you're in the center of God's will, but all the blessings will not automatically fall on you just because you're doing what God told you to do. Your faith has to appropriate it. And that's why in the church today you find all these strange doctrines where people get cancer, they go broke, and preachers start saying it's the best thing for you, God's helping you and all that. That's because they're not appropriating, they're not receiving the promises of God in their life, and so they're trying to somehow justify the fact that they're broke, busted, and disgusted. Say amen. And that leads to temptations. Because whenever people don't have constant blessings of the Lord coming into their life, they're tempted for short-term gratification. In other words, they're tempted by carnality. Uh, you know, if I'm going to go through, if I'm not going to get these blessings, at least give me, Lord, some short-term satisfaction through carnality in my life. But I'll tell you what, when you got true prosperity coming, you got true health coming, you got true reconciliation coming from God, it is very lasting. It, it removes so many temptations in your life when you have the blessings following you. Amen? Amen? So with that in mind, I want you to look to Proverbs 29. <clears throat> I'll show it to you on the screen here. We could quote it. But I want to show this to you because... I believe this is very important that as a church individually, when you get saved, that you have more than just eternal life, that you have a vision. It says, as where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, keep in mind the word revelation is translated vision, but in the Hebrew, it's revelation. Revelation is only possible when God takes his word and personally reveals to you something in this word that belongs to you. That's what revelation is. Amen? And so he says that if you have no revelation, you cast off restraint. The word restraint there is para in the Hebrew, and it means 
to loosen something, to let it go. In, in fact, you remember the story of Moses when he went up to the mount to get the Ten Commandments and left the people down there? And you remember they got into all this immorality? They just let all the restraint go, and they were committing, committing fornication and all this stuff. And then they made the golden calf. That's the word that he's using here. In other words, when you don't have a revelation of what belongs to you, you lose the motivation to live a disciplined life. You lose the training that you need to succeed in your life. Let me give it to you real practical. How many know that a young woman, when she's getting engaged and she's going to get married, what do they generally do? They lose weight. They get as good-looking as they possibly can for the pictures of the wedding. Now, if there was no wedding, there would be no motivation. Amen? If there is no, if there is no graduation, there would be no uh, desire to go to school. You've got to graduate. In other words, if there's no degree, you're not going to put in the time uh, to study to get the degree. There has to be a reward of faith for a person to train in righteousness. In America, we got too many people that are saved, but they're not disciples. Disciples are people that train to reign. They train to know how to stand in faith. They train to know how to discern good and evil. They train to have God's power operate in their life. They train so that they can reign with the power of God in their life. Amen? Come on, church. It's good preaching. Well, I want you to do that tonight. I want you to say to yourself, I'm not going to just go to heaven. I'm going to be a recipient of the promises of God. I'm going to acquire things through my faith that I wouldn't normally get unless I had used my faith. I'm not going to just go through life and if I've got good genes, I'm okay. I'm going to go through life believing God for divine health all through my life. I'm not going to just work hard and hope for a little prosperity. I'm going to believe God for his prosperity in my life. That overtaking, abundant, boat-sinking, net-breaking increase that God would like to bring into every one of your lives. Amen? Amen. Now, you haven't gone to sleep, have you? I believe that's what God wants to do. Amen? I was in church for years and never saw anybody healed. I was in church for years and not, a, not heard a testimony how God brought a hundredfold return on something they gave. I was in church for years and never heard about someone that sowed a seed and God brought forth manifold opportunity in their life. I've been in church for years and not seen that. But once I got a hold of this truth and started preaching it and being around people that heard it, I started hearing miracle after miracle after miracle. Yeah, the Lord healed my alcoholism. The Lord restored my marriage. The Lord prospered me in my business. I failed five times, but this last business, I did it God's way, and God prospered me. I tell you what, this is what God wants you to do. He wants good things to be coming in your life. He wants a better future, not a worse future. He wants a divine outpouring of his power. He doesn't want a church that is weak and feeble and broken, sick and busted. He wants a church that is thriving with the blessings of God, that people look and say, man, that church is overwhelming with blessings. <laughs> Whew. 
Now, I believe that, that once you understand this and realize that everything that Jesus did was to make you into a champion. You didn't have to do anything to be made a champion. He made you a king and a priest unto God. In fact, remember that verse in Romans 8, it says this, that we're more than conquerors? You know what that actually means? It means that the victory that we have wasn't won by you. It was won by Christ for you. And I heard this illustration years ago. It was about a, a prize fighter. He was a world champion prize fighter, and he had to defend his title. And it was a very serious match that he was in, and, and the, the, the money that he would win if he won was terrific. It was millions and millions of dollars. And so he was about ready to go off and do his final fight with this guy that was contesting him, trying to take his title. And his wife said, are you, are you fighting tonight? And he said, yeah, this is the big night. And his wife says, well, listen, I just don't want to go and see you in that fight getting hit. I just, I'm going to just stay home. So he goes off, and he goes first round, second round, third round, all the way up to the 10th round. Finally, he's been beaten, whatever. He has that final uppercut, hits that guy, and cold cocks him and wins championship of the world. He goes back, and he sits down in his easy chair that he had in the house. His wife comes up and said, well, how did you do? And he said, well, I won. And she said, well, uh, where's the check? And he lifted the check, and she grabbed it. That's, that, that is a, more than a conqueror. Can you say amen? Where Jesus fought the devil. Jesus defeated the devil. He took the blows so that we could have the victory in our lives. Amen. He is our champion. Whew. So if you're born again, you're a champion. That's the point. You may not see it yet in your life, but you're a champion. Now look at these sets of verses. I'm going to show this to you. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, it says, therefore, brethren, having a boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Say, by the blood of Jesus. Not by your good works, not by your good looks, not by your achievements, but by the blood, by a new and living way in which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart. Now watch this. Say, full assurance not partial, fully persuaded, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's a lot in this verse I'm going to bring out to you, but you got to understand this. Well, because of what Jesus did, we can come with all confidence in all boldness before the throne of God to get help. In other words, there shouldn't be any intimidation. There shouldn't be any cowering down. There shouldn't be any, well, I don't feel worthy enough because you're going there because of the blood of Jesus. And it says that blood will cleanse you from an evil conscience. Now, I'm going to explain to you exactly what an evil conscience is. Write this down, Romans chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Paul talks about the Gentiles, which are like us, people who were unchurched before you got saved, and the Jewish people before they believed in Christ. He describes them at the, at the judgment. He says this. He says, God is no respect or he's not partial to anyone. 
He says, anyone who has committed sin without the law will perish without the law. And anyone who sins with the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearer of the law that is justified, but the doer of the law is justified. And then he makes this statement. He says, for the Gentiles, by nature, say by nature, do all the things in the law. In other words, the unchurched, the one who hasn't been to Sunday school, by nature does everything in the law. And he goes on and he says, although he's not in the law, he becomes a law to himself. Now he's talking about the inward workings of an individual. And then he goes down to this. He says, for they reveal the law that is written in their heart. Their conscience bears witness to it. Are you listening to me so far here? And then he says this statement about the conscience. He says, their conscience bears witness. And then he describes it and he says this, that between themselves... Between themselves, their thoughts are accusing or else excusing themselves. What does he mean by all that? He's talking about someone who doesn't know Jesus. God's law is in their hearts. Even though they don't have an outward law that they're living by, their conscience tells them the difference between right and wrong. And the only reason why they can live the way that they live is that they accuse others. Don't you tell me how to live. Don't you tell me that I can't do this or do that. And then they'll even say this. They'll excuse themselves. Well, I can do this after all. So-and-so, God bless. I can, if someone else can steal from me, I can steal from them. If someone took my wife, I can take their wife. And, and so what they do with their thoughts is they are going against or against their conscience. And so their conscience is evil because of the way that they think. Say amen, everybody. In other words, every homosexual knows in his heart that it's wrong. Every lesbian knows in her heart that it's wrong. Everyone that's confused about their sex knows it's wrong. They know it's wrong. What they do is they, in their mind, because they have an evil conscience, their mind then will begin to accuse others or excuse themselves so that they can live the way that they want to live. And Paul lists that list, and he says, hey, at the end when God judges the secrets of men's hearts with the gospel of Christ. In other words, both groups are going to get judged, and the only ones that are going to be saved are the ones who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Because even the Jew has to do all of the law, or he's unrighteous. So there's none righteous. There's none righteous that stand before God. And so the only people that go to heaven are the people that have accepted Christ, and the blood of Jesus cleansed them from all unrighteousness, and has given the ability to go to the throne of God and receive grace and mercy in their time of need because none of us are perfect but the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. Sayadas has cleansed us and brought us into the blessing. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know if you understand the impact of this but uh, 
religion is all about what you do. The gospel is all about what Jesus did that you believe in. And the result of that is a, a, a changed life because his power starts operating through you and you start living the way that, that you should live. But you can't do that until you're forgiven of all your sins in your life. You, you remember when Jesus, it was, the night, it, was, it was before he was crucified, he sent his disciples down and he began to wash their feet. Remember that? And he came to Peter, and Peter's always a problem, it seems like. He goes to Peter, and Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. And he said, if you don't let me do this, you can have none of me. He said, well, give me a bath. And Jesus said this, and it's very prophetic. He says, if you've already had a bath, you don't need one. You just need your feet cleansed. Every born-again Christian doesn't need a bath. All they need is their feet clean because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness in our lives. We have put on the robe of righteousness. Sure, we get a little sin on our feet and our hands that need to get washed off. That's why we tell the Lord every so often, Lord, I messed up, and the blood continues to cleanse. Hallelujah. But we can go to the throne of grace, not because we had a good week, but be because we believe in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Whew. That's pretty good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen. See, an evil conscience will always justify what it does, even though it knows it's wrong. But a conscience that is cleansed from Jesus is a conscience, well, listen to this, that every form of condemnation is removed. Once the condemnation is gone, the person can be led by the Spirit. Once the condemnation is removed, he can go before God and receive whatever he needs. Once the condemnation is eradicated, he can go to God, receive all the grace, all the blessings that he needs from God because God has cleansed him by the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. So that's what Hebrews is talking about in that text. He's saying, I want you to go with a full assurance. I want you to go with boldness to the throne of grace. Not because you had a great week or you were really good, but because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you. Now you can stand before God and open your hand up and say, Lord, fill me up with all your blessings, Lord. And not at the, see, let me, can I give you something here that'll help you? He says in the text, to hold fast your confession of faith. He's not talking about the confession of sin. There's a difference. The confession of sin, we forget what we did after we confess it. Oh, you didn't get it. The confession of sin is, a Lord, I messed up. And as soon as you do that, the Bible says, uh, 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 Micah says that he takes your sin and iniquity and casts them into the depths of the sea. Hebrews says that God will remember your sins no more. So when I go to God and say, Lord, I screwed up here, and he, and he forgives me of that moment, as soon as I say that, I walk away as if I didn't do it. I walk away as if I'd never done it. I walk, come on, church. You got to do that or you'll lose that boldness that you need in Christ. But Hebrews, the text we're looking at, was not talking about that. It was talking about holding fast the confession of your faith, which is what? That's something that you remember. 
That's something. Wait a minute. I prayed about that. I prayed about that in March. I have the date. I have the time of the day that I prayed, and I prayed, and I believed I received, and I still have it. I may not see it yet, but I still have it. And, Father, I'm going to hold fast to my confession of faith that I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will hold fast to my confession of faith. Come on, praise. I don't know what the promise is, but you hold fast to it, and you remind God of it, and you keep it in your mouth. Because what you said in faith is so. I said what you said in faith is so. You can't stop it if you do it in faith. It keeps moving. All the angels are waiting for us to do something in faith so that God can move mightily in our life and bring us a great blessing. I'm saying this because too often we get tripped up with our mistakes. I always tell people that have had a, a bad experience, get back on the horse. I know you got bucked off, just get back on it. But I'm afraid I'll get bucked off again. See, you're not operating and forgiving. You're not taking the forgiveness God gave you in the way that you should. He doesn't remember it anymore, so why should you? Because when you remember it, fear is attached to it. You got to forget it. I'm telling some of you, get back on the horse. You are in a relationship that you got knocked off and you got the wind knocked out of you and you're afraid to get back into another relationship because of what happened with that other relationship. But you admitted to God, you said, I blew it, Lord, and God forgave you. So now you're back at it and that past is gone. You got to jump back on that horse and you got to act like you never had that mistake. Act like you've never been broke. Act like you've never been dumb. Act like you've never been unwise. Act like you've never been a heel. Act like you've never been on the bottom. Act like you never, come on, come on. Act like it's never happened because God forgave me. Woo! And that's how you get back in the fight. But if you hang on to it and Ah, I've seen so many people like that, and they get into a second marriage, they got their own checking account, because after all, the first time I got bucked off, nah, it's only money. You can always make more money. Become one, amen? Put it all on the line again. Am I just preaching the wind here? Now, I've never been divorced, but I've ministered to a lot of people who have been divorced, and I know how that divorce can really hurt a person. Or someone, they've been fornicating before they got married, this guy and that guy, and now they want to get married, and they go, I'm not worthy of anybody, whatever. You are, if you ask God to forgive you. You're worthy of the best of the best, and you kick your head up tall or throw your bangs back, whatever it is, girls, and you strut out there as if it never happened, praise God. Hallelujah, I'm as pure as the wind. Come on. Glory to God. So you have to keep this, to have this boldness and release your faith. You have to be able to do that. Remember, faith is not about badgering God. It's not about crying and bawling and squalling. It's about receiving in faith whatever he's promised and holding fast to it until you see it manifested in your life. And most of the blessings in the Bible will not happen to you unless you appropriate them by faith. You can be a good Christian and be broke. 
You can be a good Christian and be sick all the time. You can be a good Christian and go from one problem to the next. But when you get your faith working, you might have a problem, but you're going to break through into a blessing. You may have a problem, but you're going to get on top of it. Amen? Because your faith is going to appropriate the blessing in your life, and it's going to come to pass. I want you to write this down. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, down to verse 23. I want you to see a very, very important principle here. The apostle John, I'm going to break this down, says this. He says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Say it with me. If my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart and knows all things. And then he says this. If your heart doesn't condemn you, this is absence of condemnation, whatever you ask from him, you'll receive. And in the Greek, it's not talking about future tense. It means when you ask, you receive present tense. And then he says this, because you keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. But remember, this is all about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what you're doing, you're doing it by faith. Amen? And then he says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another as he has given us commandment. Now, there's a lot in these verses that, I'm, that I just quoted to you. But let me break it down a little bit here. I want you to see this. Number one, he says, if your heart doesn't condemn you. And he mentions the fact that when there is a condemnation happening in your heart and you do feel condemned, that God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Now, remember, this is John. And John wrote the Gospel of John. Amen? And John was there when Peter had denied the Lord three times. You remember after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them and made breakfast for them out of all these fish? And he started to talk to Peter, and John was right there next to him. And he said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter says, or he said, do you love me more than these others? And, and Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, I want you to feed my lambs. And then he said again, Simon, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, I want you to feed my lambs. And then he says one more time, he says, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter, on the third time, gets upset. And he says, Lord, you know all things. Remember where we already heard that? You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I want you to see the power of confession. Peter denied the Lord three times. And three times he confessed the truth that he loved God. 
Confession can drive out all of the negative confessions that you have in your life. There's a reason why Jesus did it three times. He did it three times because he wanted Peter to be completely free from that because it looked like he didn't love him, but the reality was he was overcome by his flesh. God knows all things, and he knows a born-again believer loves him. He knows that you love him. You may have failed. You may have done this. You may have saw the wrong thing. You may have been blinded, but God gave you a new heart and a new spirit. That's why he says if your heart condemns you, remember God is greater than your heart and knows all things and knows you didn't want to do it, knows you didn't try to do it. Know that you, come on, he knows where you're at, and he knows you got overcome by the flesh and blinded. Praise God because he wants to remove the condemnation in your life. He wants it removed so that you can ask whatever you want and God will freely give it to you right then and you can walk out of that prayer room with the answer to your prayers. Woo. That's good preaching, praise God. But do you understand what I'm saying from this is condemnation is a big deal. I mean, even when he talks about doing his commandments, remember he lists them, he says, the commandment is what? To believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe what? That the name of Jesus is above every name. Believe that the name of Jesus, every demon will come out. Believe that God exalted the name of Jesus above every name, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has given you that name. That's what he's saying. Believe in this name. And he says to love one another as God has loved you. In other words, you got to believe how much God loves you. If you know how much God loves you, you'll love someone else that way. But if you don't think God loves you, if you think God won't love you unless you're perfect, then you'll never be able to love people who are imperfect. But when you realize God loves you because you're imperfect and he loves you because of what Jesus did, you can love anybody. I don't care how sour, how horrible they are. Amen. Glory to God. There's a power in this that I think sometimes we miss in our faith that I want to make it clear. I want you to understand something about faith. Faith is the highest law that God has that he's made available to us. When I preach on faith, people, they don't always get it because we live in a time-orientated world. A woman gets conceives, it takes time to have a baby, it takes you so long to get to work, you get so much time, you got to, everything's by time, but faith is never by time. So when I talk about believing you receive, in God's realm, there is no time issue. Everything, the beginning and the end, is at the same time. It isn't later on down the road, it's at the same time. In other words, Faith is a higher law that time itself is subject to it. You go to the doctor and you get sick and the doctor gives you medicine, says uh, you'll recover within five weeks. That's in the natural, but when you go to God, time is subject to your faith. And as you exercise your faith, God can speed it up 
speed it up quickly because you receive it right then. Or you may look in the bank and says, man, you're gonna, it's going to take you 10 years to get good credit again before I'm going to loan you a million dollars. And it seems like it just, you know, I can't wait 10 years. But when you, when you, you apply your faith, time becomes subject to your faith. That's why the Bible says God redeems the time. God can remove the time of the years of the canker that you've wasted. God can bless you supernaturally fast and overflowing, praise God. Woo. If God can take water and turn it into the best wine that there is that takes years and years and years to age, if he can do that within an instant, he can prosper you within an instant. He can make you a millionaire before you leave the building today. Hey, come on, say amen. I'm excited about this. He could heal you right now as you're walking out. Oh, man, I noticed it's pain's gone. Yeah, hallelujah. That's the power of faith. Time is always subject to faith. But a lot of Christians, they begin to run out of faith because it's taking too long. Pastor, I've been believing for a woman for a long time, and it's been like six years, and I'm getting too old. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to find anybody. You know, I'm just, you know, too set in my ways, whatever. Time is working against you. The truth of the matter is, if you practice what I've been giving you tonight, the longer it takes, the stronger your faith will be. Not the weaker, the stronger. The longer it takes, the stronger your faith will be. Because as you begin to confess the word of God and you declare something that you do not say yet or see yet, as you declare it, your faith will get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Do you know that Abraham, before he became fully persuaded, he was told 25 years earlier that he would have a child for 25 years God began to develop his faith. And then right towards the end, three months of confession that he is Abraham instead of Abraham caused his faith to manifest. Hallelujah. But that was 25 years. Oh, glory to God. If the devil can get in your mind, he can get your blessing. You got to manage your thoughts. You got to take control over your thoughts. You got to be trained in how to think. Because if you verbalize a thought that Satan has taken captive, you will kill your dream or your faith for it. Let me give you a couple of verses Proverbs 21 23, Proverbs 13 3. It says, If you guard your mouth and your lips, woo, it will keep you from calamity. It says that if you guard your lips, you will guard your life. Anyone that rashly speaks will bring destruction to yourself. These are verses that are saying, what I say can either put me in the life zone or put me in the curse zone. And Satan's after your mind. You got to cast down every thought and imagination that would rise up against you, and you get to believe God. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many have been praying for something for a long time? Raise your hand. I've been praying for something for a long time. Did you know that you don't even have to pray for something to get it, the blessing to come? You don't always have to pray. Don't look at me like a dog at a new bone. I'm telling you the truth. So, what are talking about? Remember what Jesus said in Mark 11 20? 
3 and 24. He said, whosoever will say unto this mountain, be removed, cast this sea, be dust on his heart, believe the words that he say, he shall have whatever he say. Therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. Remember that? Verse 24 is prayer. Verse 23 is not. Verse 23, Jesus didn't pray about the fig tree. He said to the fig tree, no one shall eat fruit from you again. And because I said it, it is so. And that confession killed that tree. And it was withered up from the root so bad that it must have fallen over to know it was dead by the next day. Can you say amen? There's some things you don't even need to pray about if you've got a good confession of faith about it. If you just start saying, money always follows me, money always comes upon me, money always overtakes me, and you just say it all the time, it'll just come, 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 come. Amen. Praise God. If there's favor coming, it's coming. Come on, church. I'm telling you the truth. You can pray, but what you confess is the same thing. In fact, when you pray, you're using your, your words as well because you say, Father, I thank you. I believe I receive. Now, remember this. Prayer isn't being silent. Prayer is verbalizing what you're asking God for. He didn't say, whosoever shall think in his heart be removed and cast into the sea, and it would obey him. He said, whosoever shall say be removed and cast into the sea, and doubt not his heart, but believes what he said shall come to pass. So if you can pray and meditate on the word, that's great. But I'll tell you, when you're ready to put out the request, say, Lord, I'm not praying in silence. In the name of Jesus, I receive right now from your word what I need that pertains to my prayer problem and I receive it right now I found it in your word I'm not just out there and I claim it in Jesus name and next the next day I'm going to remind you what I said Monday or the next day I'll remind you what I said the last Monday in other words I'm not going to go back on what I said I received it I have it if I have it I'm going to keep it because if I say it I got it That's, that's what I mean. There's some things that just keep coming because of what you say. I remember talking to Cheryl Salem about this, and when she was just a young girl, uh, probably 8, 10 years old, God had made it real to that she'd be Miss America. So she told her mom, she told everybody, I'm going to be a Miss America. Of course, everybody thought she was crazy, but she just kept saying it. She didn't pray about it. She just kept saying it. Kept saying, and then she gets in an auto accident, and it looks like she could never be Miss America, but she kept saying it, and she was healed in spite of the accident, and she became Miss America because what you confess in faith is as powerful as what you pray in faith and you say. Come on, church. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.